Hello, Amanda Smith here. Thank you so much for joining me on this week's edition of How She Did It. I am so happy that you have decided to join us today. So make sure after this episode is over, before you leave, you hit that subscribe button. That way you're coming back to hang with us each week. So this week's guest played both college and professional basketball. She has worked as a college assistant coach. She's currently a high school head coach. And in addition to all of that, she is a WNBA, NBA, and NCAA basketball analyst who has worked for a variety of different networks, including ESPN, Fox Sports, and CBS Radio. I am so excited for you to get to learn more about her and her story. Here is Christy Winter Scott. Amanda Smith here with Christy Winter Scott. I first want to thank you for making some time to be with me on the show today. Oh, absolutely. Anything to to share and and reflect. I love it. So I appreciate you for the opportunity. No, I'm so excited to have you. We are all seeing hoops on TV again, which means yes, we will get to see and hear Christy as an analyst. And I know that you have worked in and around the game, but you also played both collegiately and professionally. So I first want to know, how did you find basketball? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, I have an older brother who is only 13 months older than me, which I didn't realize how close that was until I had children of my own. But anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) Um, but um, my brother, um, obviously just a year older than me, we, we had a court on our driveway when I was six or seven and he was out there shooting and I basically did everything he did. So that's how I got introduced to the game. And then my dad was a a massive sports fan. He loved baseball, you know, football, basketball, but because I was actually shooting on the driveway, I kind of watched more basketball than any of the other sports, you know, just to learn more about it. And Hey, this is kind of fun, you know, trying to get the ball in the hoop. And um, from there just fell in love with the game. You played at Maryland, and then you majored in communications there. So did you know, like, okay, once my role with basketball kind of makes a transition from player into whatever's next, I could work on the broadcasting side? Absolutely. Um, I think I was in 10th grade, I believe, and I had to write an English paper on, you know, it was career day. You know how they have people come in, you know, local professionals, um, <laughs> environment you know everybody lawyers doctors and all and I was like well it all sounds fun you know just to kind of give uh, kids an idea of maybe what they would like to do and um, no broadcasters came in but I think uh, with all the other myriad of professions that came through the door I was like no no (laughs) no um, for me I kind of discovered it by process of elimination Um, but also um, just from being in love with the game so much. I think um, seeing Cheryl Miller as a player at the University of Southern California, when I was in high school, I had my eyes on her every move she made. And I'm not just talking about basketball, like X and O's moves or coming off a pick and roll moves. Uh, Every move that she made, um, you know, in terms of her passion for the game, um, how excited she was when her teammates did something well, I learned a lot from her. Um, Magic Johnson, the same way. Uh, he was just a passionate player on the court. And it wasn't just about 
doing well for himself or doing well for herself. Speaking of Cheryl Miller, it was about the collective team. And I just love that she continued as a broadcaster. So when I was in high school, she was working with TNT and, and doing a lot of college games. And I, you know, I loved watching that. I was like, wow, so you can do that next. <laughs> Stay close to the game, talk about the game, and then, you know, meet the coaches and players and, and learn, continue to learn. So I always feel like I'm, I'm learning every single moment of every single day. And obviously not just about basketball, but about every single thing in life. But um, it's hard sometimes. I understand that. But I try to keep an open mind in that regard. So I believe that when I was in 10th grade and wrote that paper, Cheryl Miller was a huge influence on me in terms of the next step and what I wanted to do and how I was going to do it. I wasn't quite sure at that particular time, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. And that's what I wrote my paper on in, in 10th grade and then ended up majoring in that in college. And then junior year, we played at Texas in the regional final. And we were the, the last of the four teams to qualify for the final four that year we had the eight or nine o'clock game that night. All the other teams had punched their ticket and we were playing Texas who had been to several final fours and um, they were undefeated at home. I think they won, I don't know, 30 or 40 consecutive games there. It was insane. Um, it was packed, but at the table when we came out for warmups was Cheryl Miller. <laughs> I was waiting for that part. I'm like, no, she's not going to say she was there. <laughs> she was there. And how distracted was I? Very. Uh, the warm-ups, they were like, Christy, here's the ball. I was like, oh, oh, sorry. I'm just looking at her. Like, is this actually happening? So the 15, 16-year-old me was going insane inside. Um, I was, like, so excited that that was um, happening at that moment. And that further solidified and confirmed what I wanted to do. I was like, how exciting is this? But I also personally wanted to do well because I wanted her to call my name for something. <laughs> I was like, please just call one thing. So, uh, my parents were watching that game because uh, they were going to come out to the final four had we won, which we did, which is awesome. But um, she said she knew I was going, my mom said she knew that I was going crazy with Cheryl Miller. <laughs> it was one of those moments, you know, one of those full circle pinch my arm kind of things. And it was awesome. You're like, I've got to do everything. I need her to say my name as much as possible. <laughs> this time, at least once. Uh, if it's like 20 times, that's awesome. But just one time and I'm good. One time. Right? <laughs> you know, as we're talking about the ways of how you found the game and now how you've been able to stay around it, you've also worked as an assistant coach for many different college programs. I'm like researching you. I'm like, what hasn't she done? Yes, we love bosses on this show. <laughs> but oh, how did you make the decision that you could stay around basketball in that capacity as well? Yeah, that's, that's a little bit of a, a different story because actually um, after years and years of coaching, I never had coaching as something that I wanted to do, um, which is very odd now looking back and reflecting. But when I was coming out of college, the opportunities to go overseas were the only way that you could play professionally. There was no WNBA. I came out of uh, Maryland in 1990. So there was no league other than going overseas. So there were some professional opportunities that I entertained. So I went to um, Pistoia, Italy. That was my first professional uh, basketball job. And I, 
I loved it, even though the, the cultural shift was, was difficult, the language barrier. My coach didn't speak any English. I didn't speak any Italian. Um, so that um, became quite the um, intra-team joke. Um, you know, they pulled a lot of pranks on me, but that was fine. I was 22 and, you know, in, in Italy, which was beautiful, but it did take some time to get acclimated. But with that being said, um, I went the next season and played in – in Switzerland. And while I'd love that, um, the language was different there too. They spoke French. So here I am trying to learn, you know, I was just trying to get the Italian down. And then now I have to learn French after studying Spanish for like six or seven years in um, high school and college. So anyway, um, so that was, that was different, but um, I met, I managed, but that year after I was finished in Switzerland, I was kind of getting an itchy finger about doing broadcasting. I was like, well, wow. It was almost like the love and basketball movie where the, the main character was like overseas and looking out the window and just kind of in her yeah. flat her apartment, just like sitting. I kind of felt like that was totally me. Like that entire movie was like totally me, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, playing in the WNBA, but everything else, man, pretty much exact same life. And any, all, all of what was happening to her, you know, happened for me. And while you still love to play the game, you still feel at, you know, 22, 23, 24, you know, is this it? Like, is this all I'm going to do? And then I felt like the further I got removed from being in the States, the, I was like losing my opportunity to network, um, to get to networks. Um, so I just felt like I was, oh, maybe I should get back to the States and, and maybe I should do something. So I took a coaching position at George Mason University first and turned down a job in Nice, France to play professionally. And, you know, you have crossroads in life and, you know, you kind of, you know, sometimes I look back and say, well, wow, what if I didn't take that turn? What yeah. if I stayed and just said, hey, this is it for right now and just play it out and see what happens when you're, you know, 28, 29, 30, if that, if it, it's different for you. But I came back and when I came back, um, that, that was when I kind of started enjoying coaching and I had to do scouting reports and I had to see more than what the post players did. I had to see the entire game unfold and evolve and I had to figure out a game plan and, and that became intriguing for me. So I believe that was when, you know, I kind of changed gears in terms of what I wanted to do with the game, but I did coach there for just one year and went back to play one more year because I just had to play. So yes. I, was in, <laughs> I was in this uh, moment of, of flux you know what I mean like trying to figure out exactly what I wanted so I'm sitting in the um in the gym recruiting when I was at Mason and I'm sitting next to the late the great Ann Donovan who I had known you know just from you know USA basketball tryouts and stuff like that and you know it's Ann Donovan right so yeah. I'm sitting next to her at, at a game and, and these kids are out there playing and and I'm only like a couple years removed from them and uh, she was, she asked me like, how, how do you like coaching? You know, and I'm like 23, you know, 24 maybe. And she's like, how do you like coaching? And I said, it's okay, but I miss playing so much. Like I, I miss it. And she was like, you can always come back to coaching, but you can't always go back to playing. And I was like, I'm going back over to play. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was almost like she was giving me permission in kind of a subliminal way. Right. You know, 
because I think she knew that I was sitting there kind of like rocking myself, like I want to play, I want to play. I think my body language was like, you know, oozing um, athlete instead of coach. And so um, with that conversation, and not that she like told me to do it, but I think, you know, with her saying that, it kind of gave my emotions validity, if that makes sense. And so I went back overseas and, and played for my last season. And I, I kind of thought it would be my last, but I just had to get it out of my system, I think, just so I wouldn't have any regrets um, of being that young and, and putting up my shoes. It just didn't seem natural. So um, I did go back over there and then I came back and, and then the coaching kind of took over and um, I went back to Mason actually. And then I was at my alma mater, Maryland for five years and then Georgetown for a season and so and then I've been at my alma mater South Lakes High School as the head coach for the varsity team for the last 15 years 15? which never that's I, amazing I never, yeah and I'm still doing that and actually my daughter is um she just finished her junior season and I've had um, an opportunity to coach her for the last couple of years and that has been a blessing and um, we have two boys also one's going off to college he's 18 and a, another one um, a rising eighth grader, he's 13. So just to be able to basically raise them in the gym, yeah. um, practices, I had the blanket with the goldfish and the juice boxes and I had the baby in the pouch, you know what I mean? Like during practice, he's taking a nap and I'm like, Hey, box out, and like peek in and make sure he's still asleep. I'm like, he's good. And, you know, so just to be able to, um, number one, be in my hometown at my alma mater and to be able to raise my children um, the way I wanted to and, and be off the road. And in terms of recruiting, college coaching is totally different than high school coaching. And um, just to be able to have um, all the field trips, all of the puppet shows and, and all the things I was able to do. And while it was hard with three um, children that are five years apart and uh, from top to bottom, you know, we had a blast and I, you know, all the memories pop up on my Facebook and I'm like, Oh my God, I remember that day. You know, and just all that stuff that I probably would not have had, um, had I continued playing number one or had I continued with college coaching number two. So I think everything has a chapter, everything has uh, a purpose in your life and the things that it teaches you, not just about, you know, life, but about yourself and what you want. And I think when you have children, it's a lot easier to make those decisions than it is like when you're 23, 24. And so I was back and forth. But when you have kids, it's like, no, I'm, I'm going to be with them and I'm going to be at home and still get my basketball fix <laughs> in terms of being in the gym. And I think um, those decisions that I, I've made, I think, have not only shaped my life, but shaped the lives of my kids as well. Yeah, you know, I wanted to ask you because I saw that you currently are a head coach. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that and having all these different jobs? Yeah, you know, I, I never really stopped to think about it until the pandemic. And <laughs> I think everyone's like getting some real reflection time now. Absolutely. Um, you know, I just feel like uh, I'm pretty ambitious and, and maybe overly ambitious at times when it comes to um, getting the job done. And, and that's a quote from my mom, just get the job done. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of the day, as a mom, that's what you have to do at the end of the day, as, as a woman in general, that's what you have to do. Um, just get the job done and, and just be disciplined and purposeful and intentional in doing it. But I believe that, you know, when you, when you want to do something, you don't find any excuses as to why you can't do it. And I really feel like I'm 
determined in that way mentally. I think, you know, I never left the court as a player on a missed shot. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm making last shots. I feel like that mentality kind of carries over um, to what you want to do in your life. Like you don't want to leave any anything um, untapped. You don't want to leave um, anything undone. Um, so for me, I feel like uh, the people that I've been able to work with, the producers, um, the assignment um, producers as well, they've been very, very flexible with me in terms of, you know, sending me the full schedule and then saying, let me know what you can do and let me know what you can't do, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, your night, I'm not taking that game. You know what I mean? Like I was able to, I can jump around and kind of carve out what works well for me and, and what doesn't. And um, I believe that has been really magnificent. And, and also for um, the administration at, at South Lakes as well. Um, Linda Jones, who was the athletic director there for years and years, um, she hired me at South Lakes when I first took the job. And, and then when the broadcasting thing started picking up, you know, she was like, just let me know what you need from us. You know, uh, if we can move schedules or games around, we can, we can do that. And, and she was just a, a great friend and, and mentor in that regard. And um, I just always respect her for that. But I also think the, the professionals that, you know, set the schedules and everything, they've been um, outstanding with me in, in terms of being able to, you know, get things in where they fit in. And, and that's how I've been able to do it. And it's not me doing it. It's people working with me as, as great teammates and um, affording me the opportunities as they come. Let's talk about this broadcasting thing, as you call it. When did that first opportunity come about for you? Oh, wow. Let's see, because that that can be a a lot of different things. Let me see. When it first, when I came back from overseas and I was coaching, this is like when I came back the second time. So when I came back, um, there were some college coaching, I mean, I'm sorry, some college games that were available on um, what now is NBC Sports Washington. It was called um, Home Team Sports at the time. And it's based in Bethesda. And, you know, they said, hey, there are a couple um, college games that we want to have you do. And would you be interested? And at the time, the NCAA didn't have rules against that. Um, But then after a while, they did put that in place. So that kind of like took away a lot of the opportunities because they were saying it was a conflict of interest. If you look back, you can see that Pat Summit was calling games and so was Gino Ariema, but they were actively coaching. So I think they saw that as, um, you know, and I was an assistant coach, but still, I mean, you could use that as leverage in the recruiting realm as well. So um, I think a lot of coaches that weren't doing that said, excuse me, like that's, I'm not doing that. You see their faces speak and, you know, they get to, let you know who they are and that's kind of an advantage so that went away so that was my first opportunity to um, do any broadcasting but I think the the thing that really formed me was working for free at CTV 76 in PG County Maryland where um, I was co-host and um, co-producer also of the round ball report and that's that's what I believe that's where I really truly cut my teeth in terms of doing player interviews, um, doing packages and, um, and all the, the grunt work, you know, and I did it for free. And this is when the kids were little and, you know, I was coaching and, and then doing that like twice a week, I would go over to Maryland and, and do a show or do, you know, interviews at the wizards games and, 
mystics games and things like that. And so I believe that was, that was kind of, I would call my formative years and Andrew Dyer and Darlene Dyer, they gave me the opportunity to, to do that show. And, you know, looking back without that, I don't think that I would um, have had the proper amount of experience to be able to do the things that I'm doing now in broadcasting for sure. To work as an analyst and I think especially now we're seeing more and more women in that role, but I also think that there's still room for more inclusivity. How do you think we can continue to make those pushes to see more diverse people in these roles? Well, I honestly think that, you know, more women need to be in those roles to hire. Um, we've seen that, um, we just saw that recently at Duke where Carol Lawson was hired um, by a woman who was on the administrative team, um, an African-American woman, by the way. And I think, you know, when you have more women who make the decisions, more women get the opportunities. And I think that's what we need to see. So I, for as many women who want those opportunities, I think they also need to be dogged in their um, approach to how to get that done. And maybe it's not going to be your turn, but maybe you're going to give somebody an opportunity. So I, I don't think that you can put blinders on and saying, this is, this is it. This is all I want to do. I think there are many things that women need to strive to do in terms of leadership, in terms of uh, being those decision makers. And I think once we see more of that come along, we won't be talking about you know, what needs to be done. Cause I, I think that is the, that is the biggest thing. That is the biggest thing. Um, women supporting women. I know um, there, I saw on the news this morning, there's the uh, post the black and white picture of yourself um, and in support of all women and uh, always, you know, stroking that flame of each other. And I, I believe that's what it takes in life. I think that's what it takes. I think uh, more women need to strive to be um, those decision makers and, and hirers. When you think about maybe the young girls that look at you and want to be in the positions and the roles that you have, like you're their Cheryl Miller, right? Um, <laughs> what advice would you give to them? And, and just what would you want to say? Well, first of all, it's going to make me cry. <laughs> uh, that tends to happen on this show. I don't do it purposely. <laughs> it got me. Um, I have to collect myself for it. No, I think for me, if I am someone who shows you that if you follow your heart, that you never will have a regret in your life. And so, sorry. There is no um, apologize. I can like feel your passion like through the computer. Oh man. But I mean, that's what I've done. Um, even though early on when I was telling you I was back and forth, <clears throat> I was still following my heart. And I don't think people do that enough. I think they settle and you can't do that. You know, never settle. Um, always follow your heart. Um, your purpose is set inside of you for a reason. And that's not just to be silly. Um, if you tell somebody your purpose and they're like, oh, that's silly. Or, oh, you'll never get that. Or, oh, you'll never do that. Um, you know, it's not for them. And you can say, okay, I appreciate your opinion, but I'm not standing on that. I'm standing on the, the purpose and the principles that, that the Lord placed on me. And I have, um, 
I have not only the right to do that, but I have uh, the the definitive uh, drive, the definitive drive to to get that done. And and you owe it to yourself to do that. You owe it to yourself to follow your heart. You owe it to yourself to give yourself permission. And while Ann Donovan subliminally gave me permission. I think I had already <laughs> given myself permission there, but it just kind of confirmed it. So you don't need permission from others um, to do what, what you need to do for yourself, um, especially as a mom, if there are moms out there, like how can I do that with, with kids? Um, you can do anything because of your kids, because they're watching you too. And it's not just, you know, our kids at South Lakes who I coach and, you know, now with our kids coming through there, I know a lot of the students because they grew up together and they were in the same classes and we were on field trips and all of that. So, you know, for me, I just feel like they're watching too. And if they can see that you just have this drive that, you know, sometimes you're going to hit hurdles. Sometimes you're going to hear a lot of no's in a row. But that doesn't mean that you stop. That doesn't mean that you say, well, maybe it's not right. No, it's right. It's, um, you know, the, the hurdles are there to see how much you want it, right? And I think as a coach and a mom, you know, you challenge your young people, you know, you challenge your young people. And, you know, maybe you don't get it this time in terms of a, a sprint time, but that doesn't mean that's the best you can ever do. It means that every day you get 1% better. And at the end of the month, at the end of the year, you're, you've incredibly improved. And I think if you can apply that same thing in life, you'll be the better for it. So I, I believe that's the bottom line, just to, you know, always follow your heart, be um, intentional about um, following your purpose and be intentional about what you say to yourself, not what others say to you. What do you usually say to yourself? keep going. <laughs> I say, keep going. Um, and even through this, like, you're gonna make me cry again. <laughs> I had just come back from the tears. Um, but no, because, you know, everything is, uh, is a challenge. And, you know, sometimes when I say keep going, I am crying. <laughs> right. Um, some, but sometimes when things um, go well, you know, I say, keep going, you know, when I'm smiling. So, those two words have kept me um, through a lot. Um, and I think that if you can say that and do it, um, you're going to be a happy person, even through tears. <laughs> You'll be a happy person because you know that you didn't quit and you know that you didn't give up. And those are two things that, that I will never do. Um, as, as a mom, as a coach, as, uh, as a woman in broadcasting, and just as a woman in general, I will never quit. I will never stop. Um, and I don't care what anybody says about that. <laughs> I, I'm going to keep going, um, regardless of obstacles, regardless of, of anything that um, stands in the way of it. Um, you know, you just have to find a way to get the job done, like my mom says. Well, shoot, you're going to make me cry now. I'm like getting all teary-eyed. <laughs> Pulling on the heartstrings. <laughs> a moment. That was a moment. That was a moment. <laughs> From player to coach to analyst, and I think more generally as a person, what has basketball been able to teach you? Oh, my goodness. Basketball has been able to teach me 
about team and how team is a microcosm of, of how you need to behave in life. You know, we're all in this together. I think um, just the diversity that you have on a, a 12 person roster for basketball and, you know, you don't have 12 cookie cutter players, all the same height, all the same color, you know, it's like everybody's different in their own way. And each person brings their true selves to the table. And I think, you know, when you come outside of the gym and you go to the grocery store, you see the same dynamic, right? So for me, you have to apply um, the selflessness, uh, the accountability, the discipline, and just the the forthright attitude on things and, and your approach. So you can't sit back and, and watch your teammates do everything, right? Just like in life, you can't sit back and not vote, right? You right. know, there's something, there's something that everybody can do. And I believe that, that that is the key component to success is not only understanding what your role is, but take a step back from what that is and look at everybody else and appreciate the differences that everyone brings to the table, but understand at the end of the day that everybody is pushing for the same thing. There's one common goal, even though there are several different people behind it, and there is power in thinking that way because when you know that everyone is fully invested with their best effort in mind then that's a monster you know that that's a monster and I've seen it happen I've seen it happen um, especially with with the teams that that we've had come through South Lakes saw it happen you know when I was a player at Maryland and, and overseas and whatnot and as a, a coach in college like there you know when it's there and you know when it's not right you know when there's a, a self a selfish player in the mix and how that is just so splintering to what you want to do as a coach and what the players want to do as a team. And, you know, I make it very plain that if you're here for selfish reasons or uh, to get yours or to get your stat line or whatever like that, then there are eight doors right there along the baseline that you can choose to walk out of because we play as a team here. And, I try to teach that every single day, that no one is bigger than the team. Um, even if, okay, if you shot the ball, you know, every single time you average 30 a game, but we lose all the games and everybody else is watching you score those, then that's miserable. And I'm not here to watch that. I'm not here to coach that way. Some teams can do that, and that's fine for them. But I can't um, because I know that's teaching them the wrong thing in life. And the right thing in life is to do it as a collective group, to be um, unified in, in your approach. And I think if there's one thing, you know, like you asked me, if there's one thing that basketball has taught me is, is to be a team player mm -hmm. and to want success for the group more than I want it for myself as an individual. And I will never um, stray from that notion ever. And I like think too that, when I think about the team aspect, of course, as a player and as a person in real life, like we just have off days, right? And those are the moments that you realize that you don't have to do everything alone. Like you have these people that are there to pick you up, to carry you and say, keep going. Exactly. And, and that's the thing too. And, and that's just, I mean, that's in life as well. That's yeah. on the team you know, in our family, you know, through this uh, pandemic, you know, we've all been at home, right? <laughs> the five of us. And, 
you know, we've got each other's backs. Like, that's just the way it is. And, you know, for our kids to see that, I mean, I think that's, that's more teaching than, than you can ever say, right? If you prove that by your walk, you don't have to do the talk, right? Um, and I think that's, that's been very special to see during this time. And I'm, I'm you know, grateful for the pause uh, for a lot of reasons. And, and that's one of them, just to be able to display that entire thing. Instead of uh, talking about it, you're, you're displaying it and showing it. I love that. I want to play a quick game with you. Okay. It's very easy. Oh, good. There's really no talking because it is maybe kind of hard, but it's my, one of my favorite games here in the pod. It's called one word. So I've got four words here. I will say a word to you and you can only give me one word back. Something that comes to your mind, something you think of person topic. It's up to you. What's going on in Christie's brain. We're about to find out. Okay. Start easy. Basketball. Love. Legend. Pride. Wubble. Fun. <laughs> I just love that word too. It is great, right? <laughs> Heart. Passion. Team. Fight. Okay, you crushed that. <laughs> Oh, good. Trust it. Pause. I was like, I don't know. No, normally there's these extended long pauses, which is totally fine, right? Like, people need time to process. But you're like, I got this. I thought you were told. Like, oh, no. Yes, no. First thought. I love it. Oh, we also had some great fan questions for you. So before we're out of time, I definitely want to get to those. Awesome. Okay. So first, Cat Frankie would like to know, we kind of were talking about this a little bit, but what has it been like covering a sport during a pandemic? Oh, that's an awesome question. Um, you know, there are pluses and minuses, obviously, uh, with everything during this pandemic, but I would say um, it's been good because of the technology. Um, just being on Zoom calls with, with coaches and players, I think that kind of saves you a little bit because you're, you know, you, you're very intrigued by how they're handling it. You know, so you want to have that insight when you're doing broadcasts and you want to make sure that you're not assuming how they feel. You want to make sure that you ask them and they're actually telling you. So I think um, in that regard, it's been great just to have the access to the players and coaches. But I think for me, the one thing that I miss the most is just being in the mix. You know, I, I would go over to the practices and they were perfectly timed because the kids would go to school and then I'd grab a coffee and go over, watch the game. I mean, watch the practices and then come back right in time to, you know, get everybody into their afternoon routines. And so it was just, you know, for me, it was, it was like a way of life. Um, but just to be able to interact with people, um, to hug Coach Tebow, you know, to see players on the other teams that I may have covered in college who I still have connections via social media, you know, just supporting them along the way and just to be able to catch up with them. Um, you know, Indiana had a ton of Big Ten players, so I was like, oh, yeah. I'd love to squeeze them. <laughs> uh, just hug them, you know, and, and make sure that they're doing all right. Um, you know, I miss that aspect just of the, you know, the, the personal um, – space that that we have given up um, during this pandemic but uh, I think it's given me personally a lot more time to 
look at old film uh, during everything. There was nothing live on TV. So I was like, okay, I'm looking at, you know, games from last year. Or I'm looking at, you know, 2018 stuff. I don't know. I need basketball. So I think that has been good um, in terms of taking a break. But it's also been kind of, you know, melancholy in terms of not being around them. But I understand the safety. I'm not saying we should be around them. I'm not saying that before, you know, people get mad about that. Um, but I, I do miss the interaction and just being in the gym and being able to watch all the nuances and the practices and the shoot arounds before games um, with the visiting teams. I, I certainly miss that a lot. And you cover the reigning champs, the Washington Mystics. So not a bad team to go back and um, watch their old games from. <laughs> I was like, let me watch the Right? So, definitely fun stuff for sure. Yep. No doubt. Favorite part of watching a game that you already know the ending to is that during the game when I watch them, I'm still like, oh, no, you got to hit this one. You've got to do this. And it's like. I know the outcome here, but like my heart is still racing. <laughs> oh yeah. That fourth quarter when it was like a four point game. I was like, oh my stressing out, sweat beads popping. And yeah. yeah. Wait, Fun. I That's got the trophy. Awesome. I got a picture with the trophy. We good. That's it. Right. Oh my God. <laughs> but it's kind of perfect lead in to our next question as we're talking about the WNBA. Uh, Tim Rushi says predictions for this season. Oh, wow. You know, it's tough because of all of the moving parts. And uh, not only do you have key players in, on different teams and rosters this year, but there are a lot of players who are not with their teams. And for Washington in particular, you know, they're missing four or five starters from last year's championship run. And, you know, Connecticut, that's who Washington plays on Tuesday evening. You know, they're missing a couple of key pieces from their finals run last year. So when you're talking about best teams and, and who's going to come out at the end, man, it's, that's, the, I think this year is the toughest to predict um, because you have only a 22 game season, but, also because you have teams like Seattle um, who are healthy this year. Sue Bird is probably, you know, winding down her illustrious career. But then in Phoenix, you have Tarasi, you know, with the same situation. Like, is this her last year? We don't know. But you know they're going to be pouring it on, right? So when you have teams like L.A., Phoenix, Seattle, uh, Vegas, I mean, even though they're missing Cambage, I mean – that Chicago game over the weekend was amazing. So I think if you have to put them in order, I mean, everyone has given the nod to Seattle because um, Brianna Stewart is back, and I get it. And they have their big three um, with Howard and Bird and everybody. But I think it's just hard to predict right now. I know I put um, Seattle as being uh, the top team. Um, I put Washington up there as the, as the second team because – you know, Mike Tebow is still there too. You know, I, you know they're missing players, but they're not missing their philosophy. And I think they proved that over the weekend against Indiana. You know, they have different faces, but the same places on the floor. I think um, everyone else was like, well, that's pretty high. You know, some people put them at 11, you know, coming into the season because of all the missing pieces. But I'm like, you cannot ever count out. Uh, Mike Tebow in the way that he is able to coach and uh, be the general manager in the way that he has over his career um, in the WNBA. And 
I, I guess you, you have to look at LA. I love Candace Parker and I love Gray as the point <laughs> guard. She is amazing. Um, but then Agumake had, you know, this amazing game, you know, and not missing a shot anywhere. I was going to say, you know, like, did, she didn't miss like, it? Nothing. <laughs> nothing. And so you have that kind of determination and you see that kind of passion and fire and, and hunger. Um, I know Candace Parker wasn't happy with how last season ended, so I have to put L.A. right up there at, at number three. And I'm going to go with Phoenix after that. And then Chicago, then Vegas, because Chicago just beat them. Because they're like, that's a little flip. We couldn't do anything. Um, I think Minnesota is going to be um, better than people thought. Um, I think Dallas will get it together. Um, even though they're super young. Um, but I love Satu Sabli. So I'm like kind of cheering for her in all ways. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's like my top seven how that's gonna look. I love her. She's yeah. Best. She is so sweet. I'm so happy for her. She gets it, you know? Yeah. I love it. All right. Well, Layla Miller, just to clarify. Okay. I was wondering who's winning the chip. So I know that's an extensive prediction. So maybe we just go right now. Who's your number one? Wow. Uh, I, think I, I think I'd like to go with L.A. Okay. Um, and that's just, I mean, I know I just said, like, you know, how things look, you know, as the season goes. But I think as, te- as things wind down, I think, I think L.A. has – that extra kick in. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, they didn't, like I said, in the way they wanted to last year. So I think that's going to drive them, I believe, to, to do a good job this year. To end our fan questions. Hello, it's me, your new fan. <laughs> <laughs> and so I like to usually ask this question, um, but what is something you are proud of yourself for? Wow. That's so good. What am I proud of myself for? Um, always finding a way. Mm-hmm. You know, even on the, on the surface, it doesn't look like a, a way can be made. I think always able to find a way. And if that doesn't work, being okay with that. You know, I think I'm going to exhaust all options, you know, um, but I think uh, always finding a way is something I'm, I'm proud of myself. It has been so much fun getting to talk with you. Thank you so much for choosing to be on my show. I was like, yeah, she said yes. <laughs> but I can't wait to watch all the work you do this season and in the future. And I am just so happy that we had the chance to do this. Oh, you're so awesome. Your questions were great. Had me out here crying and everything else. It wasn't on purpose. You know, I wanted to give you a big hug, but we're like, zoom in. You know, social distancing nothing would work we live completely opposite sides of the country <laughs> I, I love it and i appreciate you and your voice and your ability to you know get the best out of people and um the reflection time was was much needed so i appreciate you bringing that out of me today thank you for saying that dang you're about to make me cry again we gotta go <laughs> i gotta go <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this episode for Christy Winter Scott. I'm Amanda Smith. We'll catch you next time on How She Did It.